good to be with you all. It's good to be able to take communion with you all today. I'd like to ask you to turn with me to uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Ephesians 4, starting with verse 11. As you turn there, I'll tell you about the time I uh, was in a hotel. I went to one of those workout rooms in the hotel. And I, I got on the treadmill, I stepped on the treadmill, and there were all these knobs and buttons, and I was looking everywhere to find the one to turn it on. You ever been on a workout machine you didn't know how to work? Well, I kept trying, yeah, I just stood, I kept uh, standing there and kept looking, and finally I hit the right button, and backward I went, holding on for dear life. And treadmills are not meant for standing. I've been thinking about what it may be like to be a church family without a pastor for a season or two. And my guess is that the temptation is to be in a holding pattern, to just stand still, to just get through it, to get to the other side of it, especially during COVID. I mean, the whole world seems to be in a holding pattern in, during COVID, right? I remember back in March and April thinking I could outlast COVID to get a haircut or that I could... Uh, just go through the drive through at Chick-fil-A until this pandemic was over. And neither of those worked. And it's tempting for all churches to be in a holding pattern during COVID. To just maintain. Especially for a church without a pastor. But for a church, that approach would be like trying to stand still on a treadmill. What about now? What about moving forward right now? What about some goals now? This morning, let's look at some essential goals for every church here in Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 11. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. This, point, this text points every church to three big goals. Now, these are kind of the shoot, pass, and dribble, or the addition, subtraction, multiplication of the Christian life. They're nothing fancy. They're the basics of church, the fundamentals of the Christian life. And at the end, you may, and you'll likely say, these are pretty simple. It's just that simple things often are not easy things. They call for a lot. They take everything we've got. So what do we find here in Ephesians 4? The first big goal is growth. Growth is mentioned twice here in Ephesians 4. Verse 16, the growth of the body. Verse 15, we are to grow up in all aspects into him. So it is both growth of the body, the church, and growth of us as individual members of the body. The church is pictured here as a living organi organism, alive, meant to grow and move and stretch and breathe, not stay put or just hold on. So here's the question this morning. Are you growing as a church and individually? Are you growing personally in Christ? 
Now, it's easy to think, come on, man, this is COVID. It's a pandemic out here. But we have to find a way. I was with the other campus ministers from around the state in E-Town before the semester started, and, and you could just kind of feel the collective tension in the room because we didn't know how we were going to do this campus ministry. We didn't know what we were going to be able to do, what the universities were going to allow, if we could gather together. And, and we just kind of looked at each other and said, we're not sure how we're going to do this. We, we don't know, but we've got to find a way. We've got to focus on what we can do, not what we can't. So what does this passage teach us about growth? First, it shows us our aim or goal, the middle of verse 13. Our aim is to grow into maturity in Christ, to, to, um, to attain to a mature man or person in Christ, to grow up from being a spiritual child to a full and mature follower of Christ, able to stand, able to serve, able to bring God glory with our lives. Now, maturity is one of those things. We know it when we see it, but, but what do you look for with it? Three quick snapshots or marks of growth and maturity here in this passage. Snapshot number one, verse 13, knowledge of the Son of God. Now keep in mind, biblically, knowledge is not only knowing about God, it is knowing God. It is knowing God personally, knowing Him in relationship. Moses prayed, let me know your ways that I may know you. Paul prays that we would know the height and depth and breadth and width of the love of Christ. So this is not just head knowledge but heart knowledge. Maturity is mainly about heart knowledge. That's why some folks you might never, not expect in some very unexpected places are more mature than many biblical scholars. Head knowledge is essential. And, it, and it's essential that we think well biblically as always and especially in turbulent times like now. But that knowledge is meant to translate to knowing and loving God, to heart knowledge. So are you growing in heart knowledge. Second snapshot, snapshot number two, unity of the faith. Now why is unity a mark of maturity? It takes maturity to put aside small things to work together on the big things. It takes growth to set aside small differences to help the body of Christ move forward in big things. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus said, You tithe mint and dill and cumin, but you have neglected the weightier things of the law justice and faithfulness and mercy. It's these you shouldn't have neglected, not the other. We need to, to give attention to the weighty things and come together around them. Snapshot number three of maturity. We're no longer to be tossed about. That is, we have spiritual stability or solidity. The picture here is of being tossed about by waves on the sea, but here the waves are worldviews. They're, they're views of, of the world and false teachings Think about the university campus where I serve. A student may come to church on Sunday, but then seemingly have their faith tossed about all week on campus. In the science classes, they hear that science has made God obsolete. There's no longer a need for God. In the social sciences classes, they hear that God is just a construct of our imagination. In philosophy class, they hear we can't know really anything, much less if there's a God and in the business college, it's implied that money and wealth are the real gods, and their friends say, well, let's just have a good time. So by the end of the week, the student seems shaken. It takes growth towards spiritual maturity to stand unmoved by any worldview so that we can stand firm and solid, having encountered Christ as real and growing in Him and His Word. Now, how do we measure growth and maturity in the church and in our lives? This passage also gives us the measure for growth. 
Now, I grew up in a, in a house with an unfinished basement. The, the whole basement floor was concrete, the, the whole length of the house. And my dad put a, a basketball goal on the, on the sta- stairs about five feet high, and I could play down there for hours. And I would watch Wilt Chamberlain and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and I would imagine playing with them. So I wanted to get to be really tall. Well, we had an ironing board closet in our kitchen little narrow closet door we kept the, the ironing board in. We would open that door and get out the yardstick and pencil and, and mark the growth, four foot eight, four foot nine. I made it all the way to 5'11", if I stretch. <laughs> five ten and a half is more like it probably. And um, what is the measuring board spiritually? Look at the end of verse 13. We're to attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The measure is Christ's likeness, the full stature of Christ. It's stretching to be like, fully like Christ in every area. It's a beautiful measure, but not an easy one. Now, what does it take to grow spiritually? It takes a Christ-centered focus. We don't just drift into growth. It takes intent. We have to set our hearts to grow. A student uh, told me the other day, I think I'm growing, and that's good, but with that, I see all that's wrong in my life and all that needs to change. It takes effort and sustained commitment to grow. Now, here's the mystery. Only God produces, can produce growth, but he calls us to work at it. God produces the work of growth in our lives, but he calls us to pursue growth diligently. Christianity is an active faith, not a passive one. And we don't have to do it alone, though, this passage says. Ephesians, also, Ephesians 4 gives us a picture of teamwork, of doing this together, of growing together. It's like having a workout partner in the gym, urging you to do more, or a running group pulling you toward the goal, pulling each other towards the goal. That's the church. First big goal is growth. Are we growing? Second big goal is building up. Paul repeats the phrase building up in this passage also. Verse 12, building up the body of Christ. Verse 16, for the growth of the body, for the building up of itself in love. Growth generates building up in the church, building up the church family and building up one another in the faith and through love. As a church family, are you focused on building each other up with love? Throughout the New Testament, we see the picture of the church body caring for one another, encouraging and supporting one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, therefore encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. Romans exhorts us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. It's a picture of taking care for one another. Now, how are we to do this? In verse 15, Paul combines two words to connect uh, in this context. He says, speaking the truth in love, truth and love. It takes truth and love, truth with love, love and truth, speaking truth into one another's lives, but with love. Now, it's easy to go to one side of the pendulum or the other with these two, with, with truth and love. It's, it's easy to think, well, the Bible says, speak the truth, so I'm just going to let them have it. I'm going to tear into them. But there's no love in, in that, and, and instead of building up, it's, it's tearing down. Or we can go to the other side of the pendulum, also prevalent in our, in our day and culture, and think the Bible says, love everyone, so just be accepting of everyone and everything and everything everyone does. And on, on that side, we end up overlooking concerns and, and ignoring sin, and, and that's not real love. Love doesn't ignore problems in the community or in relationship. Love seeks to make them right. Hey, we're going to bump into one another in community, Right? And when we do, we need to mend the, uh, those times with 
truth, and love. Jesus always held these two together. You can always see these two. In, in John 1, Jesus came full of grace and truth. In John 8, remember the woman that was brought to him, uh, accused of adultery, standing before Jesus, um, and Jesus knelt on the ground and, and wrote on the ground, and, and when the, everyone left except the woman, he said, uh, where are your accusers? Does no one condemn you? She said, no one, sir. And he said, neither do I condemn you. That's the grace. But then he said, go and sin no more. Truth. He always holds those two together. We try to make grace and truth the guide for everything we do in our ministry on campus, even in our parking lot. Everyone knows that parking on a college campus comes at a premium, right? Well, that's true at Western. And everybody seems to want to take advantage of our BCM Baptist Campus Ministry parking lot. So we try to address the situation with these two, grace and truth. So the first time you're there unauthorized without a parking permit, you get a courtesy notice. That's the grace. The second time, you may just get towed. That's the truth. Okay. So it's, um, we build each other up with a commitment to both truth and love. It's simple, but not easy. It means we make a commitment to talk with each other in the church, not about each other. It means we give voice and, and input when decisions are being made, but we join together in unity and lockstep once they are made for the unity of the body. It means we share grace, but always holding to truth. It means we never compromise truth, but we give each other grace. And that's when fellowship in the, in the church is in the, is in the life of the Spirit. And it takes everyone to do this. It takes everyone in the church to build up the body like this. See, it's easy to think, aren't the pastors and the staff and the, the leaders supposed to take care of all the problems and all the concerns in the church? And we need a pastor for that. It even says so right here in verse 11. He gave some as pastors and teachers. Yes, that leadership role is vital. But there are a variety of expressions of gifts mentioned here and throughout the New Testament. And everyone has a part in this. Look at verse 16. The whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. The proper working of each individual part. Everyone has a part. And every part is important. The church is not a spectator sport. It's designed for everyone to play a part. And one more thing about building up. Sometimes building up means rebuilding. Sometimes building up means we have to rebuild. In the book of Ezra, the people returned from the exile to Jerusalem where the temple uh, had been destroyed and, and everything lay in ruins. And the scripture says there they gathered as one man, as one person to rebuild the temple. And despite all the challenges around them, they banded together as brothers and stood in unity to complete the work. Third big goal is reaching out. See, part of building up the body is what goes on inside the church, building up in love. But part of building up the body of Christ is, is outside the church walls, reaching out to those who need Christ. And you may wonder, well, how do you get reaching out from this passage? Well, let's think about why are evangelists and apostles in the, in the list in verse 11? And when you hear apostles, think missionaries. So, so we have evangelists and apostles as well as teachers and pastors and prophets, because the church is to be reaching out, taking the gospel outside the church. See, the church doesn't exist merely for those in the church, but for those outside the church, right? It's designed to build up those in the church and to reach those who need the hope and healing of the gospel outside the church. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a physician, it's the sick. I came not to call the righteous to repentance, but the sinner. 
We build up the body internally through love, but we build up the body externally through love and service and ministry and outreach by making disciples inside the church, by seeking the lost, going to the, uh, to the nations, reaching out to our neighbors, serving the poor, befriending the outcasts, visiting the poor and sick, walking with the hurting, and binding up the broken outside the church. That's how the kingdom grows, when we do Jesus kind of things inside the church, building each other up in love, and Jesus kind of things outside the church, showing the love of Jesus to the world with boldness and compassion. Let me, let me take a quick survey. Let's start with students, those in school. Anybody you go to school with, any of them negative about Christianity? And what about the rest of us? When you go to work, any folks negative about Christianity there? Probably so. Now, how are those individuals who are negative about the Christian faith, how are they going to get connected to Christ? Are they going to come to church? Well, we need to invite them, but they may not be interested or ready. So how are they going to hear about Christ and and the hope of the gospel, and the care, and love, and healing that can be found in Christ. Just maybe it's by you being the church to them. By us taking the church to them. See, in a very real way, you become the missionary, and evangelist, and pastor to those without a pastor in the community. To those in your sphere of influence. That's what it's talking about here in verse 12 when it says, For the equipping of the saints for the work of service or ministry. It's the whole church doing ministry. Together in the body and reaching out from the body. That's what it's talking about. Let me share with you and tell you about Miss Tilly. I met Miss Tilly in Mission Arlington. And I think we, we've got it. Yeah, there she is. Um, in Arlington, Texas. See, she had been a, a missionary in Korea. And she came back uh, and her family. And they were uh, to Arlington, Texas. And they were serving in ministry but also working in the education system and uh, there in Arlington, and she received a call for assistance from a young woman in the community. And so she went to see her and, and, and talked with her, and, and before she left, she invited this young woman to church, but the young woman just kindly refused her invitation, and over the weeks, she just kept inviting, Miss Tilly kept inviting this young woman to church, and she kept refusing. Now, Miss Tilly's been getting up there for a while, and she's 83 now, and she's still executive director of Mission Arlington, and she has a lot of spunk and a lot of fire, and she whizzes into that Mission Arlington outpost in her little red sports car, and gets out with a Dr. Pepper, and so she said, okay, if you won't come to church, I'll bring church to you, and let's start a Bible study in your apartment, and so she started, she had Bible study with her in that apartment, and that grew, and now there's over 360 ministry locations, mostly in apartments that start with Bible studies. Many become church plants. And 34 years later, the tagline for Mission Arlington is taking church to the people. The Arlington Fire Department got a rescue boat and they named it the Tilly. Um, and that's what can happen when we take church to the community. It's a litmus test for the church is this, is it outward looking or is it only inwardly focused? An inwardly focused church cannot keep growing or doesn't keep growing. So what if Eastwood takes the church to Bowling Green? Well, where do you start? Well, what about the street right in front of the church? And then the one that goes over to Burger and Bowl and the one that goes to Covington Woods. And How about meeting every person on those streets, every single one of them, and inviting them to church but also asking, how can we pray for you? Say, so how do you do that in COVID? And I'm not sure, but I'm sure you can find a way. See, church is not a spectator sport. It's not meant for sideline critics. It's for people who will get into the arena and become marred by blood and sweat and tears of love. Three questions for a healthy church. 
Is it growing in maturity and Christ-likeness? Is it loving and is it reaching out? And those questions are also for each one of us. So let's end there with those. Are you growing? Are you building each other up in love? And are you reaching out as a church and individually, you and me individually? And now, these goals are for now, not for later after the pandemic when you have a full staff. Because treadmills are not meant for standing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word and the gift of your son and the gift of your church. I thank you for this church family. I pray that you just move in our hearts and lives and that we would be, our hearts would be open to what you want to do in us and through us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for, for the death of your son on the cross and for the resurrection and that we can remember that and celebrate that today. And reflect on that and, and how vital and how good and how wonderful your love is that you would shed the blood of your son for us. So Lord, we thank you that you've made us family in a church. And we pray for your church. We pray for this nation. We pray for this world. And we pray for healing of those who are sick. And we pray for your touch in those who are hurting today. And we pray that you will draw people to know you through faith. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing.